On today's episode of Tapcaf Transmissions, we're joined by our good friend Ilkin from the YouTube channel Kings and Generals. He'll be helping us break down book one of the Yuzhan Vong War Vector Prime. I hope you did your reading because this is going to be a fun one. Hello there, everyone. Welcome to episode 100 of Tapcalf Transmissions. This is a big one for us because 100 is the first three-digit number that we've covered on the podcast so far. I am Corey. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Eckhart's Ladder. Mm-hmm. And then, then, really glad you're excited to be here, Eck. Yep. And joining us for a second time, he's been waiting for this for a long time. He wanted to do a Vector Prime last time, but we weren't quite ready for him. It's Ilkin from Kings and Generals, and he. We, welcome back. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk about Last Jedi again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're yeah. We we put aside four hours today only talking about the first 25 minutes of the Last Jedi. It's going to be first part of a uh, t- I think 10 part series. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, no, but we are talking about a book that Ilkin, you really wanted to do this one with us. Vector Prime, book one of the new Jedi Order. Um, so, pretty pretty exciting times. Why were, were you so excited for this one, Ilkin? Like, what made you want to do this book to come back for more, more than any other one? So, two reasons. Uh, number one, uh, actually three reasons. Number okay. one, written by Robert Salvatore. And mm-hmm. uh, he's kind of uh, unique in that way that uh, he only has two Star Wars books, and uh, I I feel like he got a, a bad fan reception after a certain event in the book that we'll talk mm-hmm. about, and he decided not to uh, write anything again. Mm-hmm. And uh, his style is very interesting in terms of uh, what he's writing. I I don't know if you guys know about that series called Dark Elf. No, I've never read no. it. Have you, Corey? Uh, I don't think so. There was a different series that I think he wrote. Maybe it's the same one. It had a bunch of gems in it. It was, I think it was young readers stuff, but probably not. No, uh, no, not 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 the same. So basically, it's uh, set in the uh, fire room, the uh, the settings that used for uh, Dungeons and Dragons, mm, okay. and it has this real um, hero adventure fantasy feel to it. Mm-hmm. I feel something. I feel that I read something from Lucas who said that he really wanted Salvatore to be on board with writing books because he felt like his. Uh, work uh for uh wizards of the coast really mm-hmm. reflected what he wanted in star wars books and some of that was brought uh to the vector prime that's reason number one uh reason number two is that i feel like uh the book kind of creates a watershed moment for the uh star wars uh expanded universe old expanded universe before that we had a series of books but uh, none of them was as long and as uh, well planned as this one. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, we start getting uh, the um, we got two more series, basically a long series. And I feel like, uh, in terms of continuity and in terms of world building, this three series uh, are probably the best uh, in the old expanded universe. So it's not so much that you like this book in particular a whole lot. Well, I mean, besides for the the Salvatore thing, it's just 
the author interests you and it's the start of the series which interests you more than anything is that correct or am i overstating it the problem with this book is that uh sometimes i i have read uh this series three times i think and the last time it was in summer when we guys had a talk about uh when we had our podcast mm-hmm. so uh it's um a bit different in terms of uh connection within the series mm-hmm. it seems like salvatore wrote uh, a book and then he just left mm-hmm. and everyone else built built upon it upon mm-hmm. what he wrote so uh, in a way, uh, they he just were... dropped a moon on Chewie, then peaced out. Yeah, exactly. In a way, uh, he is a great world builder, and you can see it in his other books. And he built this uh, not world, but uh, let's say new era of Star Wars. And mm-hmm. then he left, and everyone else built upon it. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are many things that I feel are deficient in the book, especially in the. Uh, in what Yuzhan Vongar, in the relationship between the characters, many of them change on the go, it seems. But at the same time, uh, it it was like his sub-universe, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep, no, that totally makes sense. Uh, we do see, and I guess we'll get into the specifics in a minute. Um, I guess before we do, anything you want to talk about before we get into things, Corey or Oaken? Anything Star Wars related that's not kind of on the topic of this book? Not really. We've got Lego Star Wars coming up, so in a couple of weeks there will be some big things to talk about. Then Kenobi coming mm-hmm. up soon after that. But I think we're we're in more of a big Halo news week than uh, big Star Wars. Yeah, news. yeah. I will say uh, before we talk about Halo for a couple of seconds, um, we did get an excerpt from the new Shadows right. of the Sith book today, which seems pretty interesting. That's probably the book that I'm most excited for in canon. Um, the excerpt was fairly interesting. Luke basically gets mind... Well, he's not really sure what's going on, but it seems like he gets uh, mind transported over to Exegol, and he fights these wraiths, and he encounters uh, the specter of his father. So definitely interesting story there, and I think by necessity it's going to flesh out a lot of kind of what we don't know about that era. So that's exciting. Um, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting book, and it's hot. It's it's Luke and Lando, like it, the old EU pairing yeah. put together again. So I've actually spent a lot of the last week reading interviews. A lot is probably overselling it, but a lot of uh, interviews with some of the NJO authors, particularly uh, Salvatore and Michael Stackpole so far, because mm-hmm. killing Chewie is obviously a big moment. And spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read NJO before, Chewie's dead. Uh, mm-hmm. But... There's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of commentary from him on kind of joining the universe and writing as this author that's new to it. And one of the things with Stackpole's interview, basically just saying, hey, people need to stop being mean to him. Mm-hmm. And that if he knew what the reception was going to be, he would have told Salvatore not to do it. Right. And... Okay, so so yeah, the big thing in this book is is the, the thing everyone remembers is Chewie dies. Um, but to me, this book is different in like a lot of ways. Um, for me, this book just has a very kind of dark tone right from the get go. Like maybe it, it's it's hard for me to kind of tell whether this is because I knew it was coming or because the book is actually written this way. But I I did sort of feel like an impending sense of doom or dread mm-hmm. while I was reading. Um, 
And I, I do think that's partially because of the writing style. Um, but again, maybe it, it's, it's hard to divorce myself from knowing what happens. Um, but like, this isn't a very, uh, like positive book. It's not a very like happy book. Um, like most Star Wars books, even like the Thrawn trilogy or some of the more serious books have like moments of levity in them. Um, where in this book, like what would be a moment of, of levity, for example, Anakin and Jason hanging out ends up being kind of a stressful moment where they're, you know, fighting about their philosophies. So that was kind of the thing that struck me about this book. It's not like a, it's not joyful. It's not happy uh, at all. It's very dark. Um, yeah. What, do you guys have any thoughts on that? In a way, uh, previous books are like uh, original trilogy, and this book is kind of like a prequel trilogy feeling to it, I mm -hmm. guess. Because, uh, and again, uh, if we talk about the dropping of the moon thing, I haven't read Salvatore's interviews regarding this book, but I feel like uh, this book changed the status quo of the Star Wars mm -hmm. universe a bit. Uh, mm -hmm. Especially for Han, for uh, his family, they kind of were like on this set path, and uh, like Han Solo's character, in my opinion, didn't develop at all in the previous books. And mm -hmm. yeah, the status quo changes very uh, quickly and very uh, violently, I guess, is the word. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, really uh, this feeling of impending doom that you talk about is really uh, felt throughout it. Yeah. yeah sick uh the kids can't uh uh decide what they are doing the republic and jedi are kind of uh, in the ideological crisis uh so it's uh many different issues that most of them actually don't get solved until the end of the continuity interestingly yeah. enough yeah the there... sorry go ahead Corey. uh it's actually something that was a very intentional choice by the NJO authors as a whole. That was something that uh, was less of a choice by Salvatore, though his, the tone of his book definitely matches it. But mm -hmm. the thing that he and Stackpole both talked about a lot, and that was really set up by a lot of the EU authors who were writing at that time, except for Timothy Zahn, who thought that should have remained uh, kind of what they were doing with the adventure of the week. Everyone gets back and then nothing principally changes. And Zahn has criticized the NJO and subsequent periods for this reason but there was a feeling among a lot of the authors and lucasfilm that the stakes were just entirely gone uh mm -hmm. and han in in his eulogy for chewy he kind of talks about that a he bit says that pretty much with, exactly like, yeah they had this bubble and i think it like that examination of it within the universe actually works really well like the last chapter there with han's kind of introspection or talking to leia i think really does work well where it's he'd built up this world where there was nothing bad that could fundamentally happen to any of them at the day they were all still gonna end up okay no matter what happened to anyone else and a lot of the authors were kind of feeling that way about uh what they could do with the universe as well it was just an imperial warlord will come around the uh, whatever red shirt character gets introduced in that book maybe they'll die but at the end of the day you're back to the status quo at the end which like honestly i i think considering these are star wars books you can make a good argument that that's fine like that just getting fun stories and adventures and new lore like for these books is fine like i'm not sure if timothy zahn was wrong and i really like njo and i really like legacy of the force and stuff but like i understand i guess why fans were and are resistant 
to to kind of the change um because like i I guess i mean obviously no one was expecting kind of a a story told in this way with characters dying in this big 19 book long arc um and and yeah like I, i think it's totally valid to just want kind of you know stories told for star wars rather than wanting this big kind of overarching narrative where like han gets ptsd and a 16 year old kid dies and yeah the thing is uh this kind of reminds of the uh evolution of the comics in the last 20 years mm-hmm. i guess there are constantly this uh periods of five to ten years uh, where nothing changes mm-hmm. in a big way then there's yeah. a big uh event everyone superman comes, dies or whatever dies i don't know uh, flashpoint happens or new 52 or whatever it's called mm-hmm. and then uh there's a big crisis and then it returns to the uh status quo again so mm-hmm. in a way uh it happened to the star wars more or less because uh after uh uh ngo after the two next series after that we kind of return to the status quo of, uh, of a new continuity which always happens to the comics mm-hmm. i I think you guys talked about the fact that uh, no Star Wars characters ever die uh, in your QA episode. Uh, yeah, not many. I mean, we lose. Uh, who do we lose in uh, Dark Saber again? Crixmaidine. Uh, uh, Crixmaidine. Uh, but it's. I think uh, we. Basically, the way that the authors had put it forward was that secondary characters that get introduced can die. Uh, mm-hmm. even if they were introduced in like an earlier work, but there are some like original trilogy characters tend to be completely off limits for anything really bad happening to them. And there were even a few of the more popular expanded universe characters like Talon Card and Mara that kind of get elevated to that status of being untouchable. Mm-hmm. So I think you can probably make more of an argument against like they've gone maybe a bit too far with it when you get later on where like Jason is chopping Mara in half. But Mm -hmm. I think in NJO it's Chewbacca and Anakin that are the big deaths that we have here in the 19 book series. And I guess what I want to know from you both is do you think that Star Wars would have had the same staying power if it didn't make that adjustment though? if they had kept going with the old style of like the Valentine books or Bantam era. Honestly, it's at this point. um, I think regardless of what they did, they had the prequels. They would have been fine. Um, Like, I I think, I honestly think the success of the NJO wasn't, or lack of success. However, you know, in retrospect, you classify, I don't think it was moving the needle that much at this point. Like, we were kind of through the dark age. Like this is 1999. You know what I mean? Um, but would those books have just ended up being okay. Now we're moving to prequel era books with the adventures of Anakin and whatever. Yeah. And then the I Luke mean, stuff just trails off and airs. It's hard to say because like, I, we, we don't know whether like, we don't know what the sales numbers are like. We actually you know, do. We do. Okay. Vector prime outsold vision of the future nearly. That's right, a Tim Zan book. What I'm more interested in is the sales numbers about eight books through by the time they've kind of committed to this new style. Because we do know that the Yuzhan Vong war is a kind of a natural point. Or I mean, we don't know, know this scientifically, but 
from people I've talked to, like the Yuzhan Vong War does seem to be a point where a lot of people kind of, you know, find their way out of the out of the the book reading. Now, obviously, others like you found their way in. So for me, it's hard to say, like, I don't think like abandoning the series halfway through was ever success. It was ever an option. I don't think like not going in this new format was ever an option either. I'm assuming it, it, it worked out well and and more so than the Bantam style, just because they kept with it for Legacy of the Force and Fate of the Jedi. Um, but, you know, just from talking to people, I know that like, the Yuzhan Vong are a turnoff, but not necessarily because of the structure of the story and the gritty tone, just because the Vong have a lot of characteristics that make people kind of write them off, whether it's the fact that they are kind of written as like, you know, these edgy aliens, the whole force thing a lot of people don't like. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my thoughts on that. I f- feel like if there's a criticism for me of uh, Enjoy, it's uh, that it's overlong and... Uh, mm-hmm. that- series are kind of overlong too i'll be talking about that for the next year (laughs) yeah Yeah. you are going to get like really tired by book like 12 something (laughs) like that because uh at some point you feel like uh the resolution of what is going to happen with yuzhan wrong is very clear Mm -hmm. i think book 10 that starts to happen and then it keeps going keeps going keeps going it's uh really not easy i Again, I, I, I was able to read all the books in like uh, one month, something like that, uh, in June or July. Uh, but I feel like if I was younger uh, and the books were coming like one by one, I would mm-hmm. lose my interest really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Now I'm a bigger Star Wars fan than I, than I was like 20 years ago. Uh, so, yeah. Still, too long. Again, too long. 19 books. Yeah, there's a. Definite I was already starting to feel like that a bit, at even through this book. But yeah, go ahead, Corey. There's a definite trade-off or difference in style that you get with the serialization of a lot of these major franchises versus one of the benefits that you had with the early ones, where uh, maybe they do feel a bit more disposable. But you could go in and read Crystal yeah. Star without having read anything else. Whereas mm-hmm. with this, you're not jumping in to read uh, Edge of Victory unless you've read Vector Prime through everything. One of the things they did want to do with Vector Prime was make sure you have some references, but come in, like anyone who had only seen the movies could technically come in and read this and not be entirely lost, other mm-hmm. than like, oh, Luke has a wife named Mara. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the more you build on that, you get a situation that a lot of people feel with like Marvel right now, where if you haven't seen the last 18 episodes of TV that have come out in the last three months, plus 36 movies that have come out, that's probably underselling that too. But yeah. you no longer really know what's going on. And I think by the start of Fate of the Jedi, that was definitely a thing for a lot of people, especially. Yeah, like I, I remember going to see, I think it was like the the latest Avengers movie. And like, I don't really watch all the MC movies. I watch the ones I like. And like a character would be revealed and the crowd would be like ooing and awing. I'm like, who, who the fuck is this? <laughs> it's called um, shit out. Movie, right? Movie yeah. number one was the last one, okay. Yeah, that's a bit too much, yeah. Because when the first five or six were coming out, I was watching them again and again and again, but mm-hmm. 21 movies, no. I haven't even seen the new Spider-Man yet. Um, actually good. Yeah, I, I I really like Toby, so it's definitely on my list. Um, yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, I, I think the other thing that kind of, 
like with a 19 book arc you get the benefit of having the same villain but also the downside of having the same villain um and like they do try to handle that throughout the njo by kind of having these like mini stories whether it's like corellian crisis 2.0 or like you know whatever else so that does help a bit but ultimately it's like you're still facing the vong and you know we've been introduced already to a lot of their tricks already um in this one novel like so a few of the big ones that we see are the uh the trick the trickery with gravity the uh the the war coordination um which they find out pretty quickly I will note in this book, by the way, one thing I was happy is we don't get dumb protagonists. They f- they figure this shit out really quickly. Um, we're getting a hint at kind of the force stuff. So, you know, these are kind of ideas that we're going to see really taken to their extreme over 19 books. Maybe we do a, a quick synopsis 25 minutes into the podcast of the, of the book. Or- yeah. We've done a lot of talking like NJO overall, but uh, mm-hmm. so for those who maybe haven't read NJO that I ordered, this is a 19 book arc about the first real major threat to the New Republic that isn't in some way related to the Empire. So Vector Prime covers how the Yuuzhan Vong are coming into the galaxy. There's uh, the main plot with like the main characters, but then you also have uh, a few perspective chapters from the Yuuzhan Vong themselves. One Yeoman Carr on the planet Belkadan in this scientific uh, observation facility that are kind of trying to track stuff coming into the galaxy, which is why the Vong are interested in it, so they could interested mm-hmm. in it, so they can kind of stop any warning from going out. And then we have uh, Namenor, who is on uh, Ramamul, which is a planet that's kind of feuding with another planet next to it, Osarian, which is kind of similar to what we've seen. Space North the- Korea and South Korea. Well, it, it's kind of similar to all the conflicts we see in the Spectre of the Past and Vision of the Future, mm-hmm. where the New Republic yeah, is true. kind of busy with all these other little uh, little conflicts, and that's a big part of what stops them from being able to respond to the Vong effectively. And Namenor has been around for uh, years since Crimson Empire, stoking this conflict. Mm. I was going to mention that this is the sequel to Crimson Empire. Yeah. We've been waiting for. So we go... The Luke is starting to plan restarting the Jedi Order, or not the Jedi Order, the Jedi Council, mm-hmm. and there's some opposition to this from the New Republic Advisory Council. The New Republic Chief of State, Borsk Falia. Yep. The fuck did that happen? <laughs> the most unknown character in the history of <laughs> Up there with, uh, what's her name, Umbridge from Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd I forgotten. Think, Go ahead. I think like I started hating Botans just because of him. I was going to say something more racist against Botans. <laughs> like I was going to say that I started hating animals more, but I tried not to say God, that. Goddamn furheads. Bosk. He kind of redeems himself or something. But I forgot yeah. that the whole reason any of them were off on uh, Dubrillion and Destrillion was too. because they were investigating links between smugglers and Borks. Force friends. Yeah, we get a, a really kind of convoluted way to get them out that far in the galaxy. <laughs> um, but they end up, definitely... they want to talk to Lando. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Cause... I was going to say, this is definitely one of those situations where it's like <laughs> right place, right time, or wrong place, right time uh, to get, you know, the perfect battle group together to face the, the Yuzhan Vong. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, we get the, at this point, they don't really realize the full scale of what's coming because the the Vong task force that's entering the galaxy 
and um yeoman car is kind of on the inside uh it's it's just a it's a small uh it's called the praetoriate vong it's basically their scout force and no one's really finest dumbest troops yeah um no one's really sure like we don't we don't understand why this is a separate group of Wong. I don't feel like it was fully explained. I know that there's some kind of division within the Wong, but uh... yeah, I I almost felt like they weren't sure. Maybe I guess this doesn't make sense, but it was almost like they weren't sure at the full scale of the invasion. Maybe yeah. because they they even specifically don't say how big the rest of the fleet is, even like amongst themselves when they're talking or to the reader. So I'm kind of wondering whether they're still sort of figuring that out themselves. Yeah, like the the Praetorate Vong, I think they say they have two world ships that are already there on Helska that both explode. Like the amount of carnage that happens at Helska on the Vong side is probably bigger than almost any battle until maybe Ebak 9 or Borlaeus. Like two mm-hmm. world ships dying is not small. And we get two planets destroyed. Like this is a lot of shit going down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and they kind of know, like, the next couple of books are about to be very frustrating if you're, like, fully in the know like the reader is, because it's basically, I think as early as, I think next book basically starts with Leia going to Borsk Valley and being like, shit's, shit's going down down here, and him being like, no. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to take over Leia. Stop yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah, so. exactly. Um I know every world outside of outside of Duro has been taken, but this is just a ploy. It's basically mm. a nineteen book series on why you shouldn't be a dick to refugees. Like <laughs> if people say Star Wars shouldn't be political, that's all the NJO is is a be nice to refugees series. Speaking mm-hmm. of political, one thing that uh, this book starts and then the series kind of doesn't uh, approach in a satisfactory way. Uh, is the question if droids are uh, mm. should have human rights? I guess is the way to put it. Yeah, yeah. If they have a soul, if they are, uh, if they have freedom of will, uh, freedom of choice, etc. I feel like this starts, and this this is the very first chapter uh, where we meet Nomanor and uh, they destroy droids on the planet. Yeah, and then this is. This comes out. This comes up all the time about the droids, etc. But we never get like Luke or like uh, Leia, like deciding for themselves. Okay, uh, droids are uh, real people. I don't know. Yeah, that's something that uh, the Jedi almost get slotted into that position instead. Where there's something really interesting there with the idea that it's not the Yuuzhan Vong that we see doing that to droids. It's that Naminor has gone in and turned the people of Ramamul against the droids in the way that he is. And that's where we see the droid destruction pit. But that does kind of get uh, tossed aside other than a few jokes or references or just more of it building it on the Vong side of, oh, we hate technology. But later on, you do get a bit of the uh, sell out your Jedi, sell out maybe some of your droids if you're feeling like it. But yeah, yeah. for the most part, it does get like those elements of it do get dropped. And and it, kind of changes. It, it starts with the droids, but at some point, uh, the Yuzhan Vong became become like uh, entire anti technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like in the in the first book, you see the droids as a maybe as an uh, ploy to be anti uh, anti technology, but it's mostly droids. But then even like uh, 
a spaceship that has no like uh, AI of its own. It, it becomes mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. an, as an insult uh, to the Yuzhan uh, Wong. Yeah, that that's a good point, and it it is kind of a shame they didn't touch on that because the the droid scene in particular is is clearly meant to be horrifying. Like the droids are essentially stoned to death, and like you know, a lot of people have been stoned to death throughout history. Like it's not an accident. It, like if it wasn't meant to be, you know, so an analog for for you know sentient beings dying, you know, the droids would have been melted down or something. Like it's very clear that they're killed and killed horrifically, and the droids feel fear. Like because we see from their perspective, um, the droids feel fear. So. It is a shame, and, and you're you're also right too that they do seem to get a bit more fanatical because um, no menor in this flies at an A wing. He does mention like he doesn't trust machines and he he doesn't like machines, but he at one point um, I think um, uh, what's his name on um, why am I forgetting his name? Yeah, and Yeoman Carr even remarks that um, that the Jade Saber is a like a nice looking ship, so. Yeah, he says it's not quite as cool as their grown ones, but still had to admire its. Yeah, I feel like it's a uh, for Star Wars in general, it's like a lost opportunity mm -hmm. because uh, are droids people is like one of five, six central questions of uh, sci-fi in general, mm -hmm. and uh, Star Wars had an opportunity to give its own take on it, but uh, it's not delivered completely to satisfaction. Yeah. No, that's definitely right. Because that that Han's a dick for being so rude to three PO for thirty years. Yeah, we get the mention of Han including three PO and R two in the, in the yeah bubble his there. little family. But it is still a okay. lot of just being dicks to him. One thing I got to mention: this is completely off topic, but I'm gonna forget if I don't mention it now. I, I, like, there's a lot of questionable science in this book, but I think the one of the most questionable bits of science was R two freezing when he's on the planet's surface. Like, R2 is a droid that operates in vacuum, in the middle of space. Are you telling me it's colder on this planet than it is in the middle of space? In Star Wars, like, maybe. Why is he freezing? We have an etheric rudder that works. We do get the return of the etheric <laughs> rudders, actually. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Yeah, maybe. Might be warm and cozy in space. Don't, don't project yeah. your real-world values onto my force. Mm -hmm. Injecting your science. Also, you mentioned human car and uh, the way he was looking at... Uh, Danny, Mar ship. Oh yeah, but uh, another thing that I remember when I was first reading uh, the book, I feel like it was more than twenty years ago now. Uh, so, um, what's the girl's name? The scientist. Danny Quee. Danny Quee. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he looks at her and he's like, "Yeah, she would make a good uh, Yuzhan Wong," and mm. I. I remember that when I was reading that, I was, uh, I, I thought that, okay, maybe Yuzhan Wong are like, uh, humans that got lost or something. Not even that, like, uh, they are, uh, using other biomass basically to create, uh, themselves to be, uh, if that makes sense. Like the movie orcs. Mm -hmm. Like, have you guys played Mass Effect Andromeda off the top of my head? Mm, uh, I not yet. really. But yeah, like the orcs in the pool or whatever in the Lord yeah, of the Rings yeah, movies. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, it's uh, not uh, explored, and uh, it seems mm. that they are one species, uh, and they are not uh, subspecies of wrong, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Again, uh, some casts, they look a bit different, but uh, it seems that all these uh, differences between casts are created by techno biotechnology and not mm -hmm. uh, biological itself. They do seem to have wanted to, like with the breaking and everything, try to not necessarily turn them all into use on Vong, but turn some people into Vong adjacent people. Like it happens to Tahiri <laughs> later on, uh, or Rena. But Vong formed, or no, don't they have a name for it? Vong not Vong form. That's it's Vong shaping. Yeah, Vong yeah. form is a planet. Yeah. Also, one of the reptilian species is turned into slaves, right? Uh, the yeah, the Chazrak. Yeah, Chazrak. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's fitting because they shape, like, because it's not just that they also like make their own biological weapons all the time. Like the Voxen, they're kind of something taken from this galaxy, and obviously they've molded everything from their own galaxy to use as a weapon. I think the Slayers um, later on are actually Jedi based on like RPG supplements rather than oh, anything really? that actually shows up in the text. But oh, I didn't know that. Isn't there, wasn't there, Corey, you probably know about this, but wasn't there a, at one point going to be a, something that made the human Vong connection explicit? I don't know. Maybe something connected to uh, Don't Have a Seacot in Rogue Planet, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't know. Okay. I thought there was like a canceled story or something. Like I know that they've mentioned it in the uh, the supernatural encounters thing, but like Lord knows what was originally intended for that. Um, yeah. Maybe that and it could be what I'm thinking of. There was an entire canceled trilogy within the series. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but I... yeah, Night Errant. That was there. It was yeah. Some authors' books got entirely dropped from it. Mm -hmm. uh... Yeah. But I don't Thanks think that we the out outlook uh, of this of these books, right? Sorry, I don't think that we got uh, some kind of uh, excerpt from this book, so we don't know. No, I don't think so. Yeah. The closest thing we get from my recollection is when they're creating the virus. Like they mentioned, how similar the genetic structure is to humans. Um, my kind of like it, if I were ever going to write like a fan fiction, my idea would have been it was like some race that left the gal like 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 an outbound flight of like 10,000 years prior basically yeah. that it goes yeah. like just short of saying that that's kind of what they are where uh like most star wars species the explanation that they do give for them is that it was some sort of prior panspermia that made all of them mm -hmm. so like twi'leks humans they're all the same ancestor so it wouldn't be surprising especially with what happens with Zonama Seacott that they might have wanted to do that with them as well. Mm -hmm. we, yeah, we, we don't really... We could have done with more Vong history, but on the other hand, it might be better that it's not over-explained. Um, yeah, should we get back to the story? So, the I guess when shit really starts to hit the fan is as the, the world ship, which are basically these giant living organisms uh, that the Vong are... that they have used to travel the distance between the galaxies... The Vong come from a completely other galaxy. Um, and these world ships are old. Many of them are dying. Um, basically, as it's approaching, uh, Yeoman Carr, who's sort of infiltrated what's called Excal, the society for like monitoring extragalactic activity, has made its way to this one outpost, uh, the one responsible for monitoring the area that the, the Vong call Vector Prime, their way into the galaxy, because it's 
for some reason that they allude to a little bit in the book and more in other source material, there's basically turbulence around the galaxy, which makes it so you can only go in through certain spots. At least that's what's hypothesized. Um, so shit really starts at the fan as the world ship approaches. And he's sort of, we find that he's initiated this process. This is the first kind of Vong horror we see. Um, he's initiated this process that basically destroys the planet um, of Belkadan with this, these kind of much like Vong technology, they've repurposed these bugs. Uh, it seems like they kind of put this spore out or something or through some biological process, they basically ruin the planet. Um, they make it inhospitable, uh, at least largely so. Yeah, at one um, point, the book starts to feel like a horror book. Mm-hmm. Uh, that destruction of Belkadan and the death of uh, scientists that were there, it feels like a, uh, some kind of horror book just seen from it. Totally agree, agree. Totally. One of the character names seemed to me to have been made from like some sort of online Star Wars name generator. Like the the Twi'lek who works at Excal mm. is named Tuubo Duel, which like Morith Duel is the name of the administrator on Kessel. Mm-hmm. And there is a character named Tubo the Hut, but I think he came much later. So it it almost feels like a few Star Warsy things got mashed together for that. Mm-hmm. No, totally. Uh, I, those characters, the instant the instant I saw them, I was like, not even gonna bother remembering their names. They've got <laughs> maybe they've got maybe five POV chapters and they're gone. <laughs> yeah. But the worst Star Wars name is Vert Skiller. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's like, the Poochie of Star Wars. Like I don't I hate him. Yeah. Somebody, somebody asked Rowling to uh name a character from Star Wars and she's like <laughs> Vert Skiller. <laughs> I, it was it was interesting though to see like I, I have worth getting in my notes because the book starts off with something we haven't really seen before, which is the Jedi inserting themselves in problems like without you know Luke being there um, because at this point the Jedi have finally um, gone to the point where there's probably hundreds running around. I think Luke says maybe more, um, and they're kind of just doing their own thing without a lot of supervision. That will be one of the kind of central conflicts in the book in the series. The kind of how close the Jedi should work with the 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 government of the day. Like, should they be reined in? Because like you can see, Jason Jason's argument is that the Jedi kind of serve a higher purpose, the Force, and that you know to put bureaucracy behind it is kind of like tarnishing that. And then Luke and probably Borskvelia's opinion, maybe not Luke's opinion, Borskvelia's opinion, and others is basically that like i don't really want these jesus like figures with full power to execute people running around the galaxy which is kind of fair yeah when, Star- you know yeah and uh, this prequel trilogy happens uh around book seven or eight right they're coming so, out uh, now actually so i uh, i think they would have seen the phantom menace because there's actually a lot of parallels between Dark Tide and the Phantom Menace. And I actually asked Troy Denning about this, uh, whether they had been given access to any further prequel information. So they basically have whatever's available, according to him, at the release date. They weren't told anything extra. So they had at least the Phantom Menace. And by one of the later books, they have Attack of the Clones. But I don't think they ever have Revenge of the Sith. Because at some point, uh, there's this argument made by failure i think who's like yeah at one point jedi really 
made a coup and took over with the public, something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, I, I'm not sure if uh, the book was released after the uh, Revenge of the Sith or not. But uh, this is constant uh, discussion within Star Wars in general and this book. What is the role of the Jedi? What yeah. uh, uh, if they should be part of the actually if they should be part of the military uh and i feel like uh the um, high republic series is kind of getting into that area and i mm-hmm. want to stay away because uh for I me mean, fate of the jedi dealt with that too like i feel like yeah. we've seen that um like every star wars story deals with that to some extent like uh mm-hmm. the prequel trilogy did that and the sequel trilogy did that with luke's indecision if he what's the line uh, do you expect me to go in and defeat the first order on my own? Something like that. So uh, it's a constant question, and I want mm-hmm. new Star Wars books to avoid it as much as possible. Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally fair. Well, in a, a lot of this era of Star Wars, like from NJO up to Fate of the Jedi, it brings it up a lot. But the way that it addresses it is more or less of in the the way that most fiction with any kind of maybe something systemic needs to change mm-hmm. gets addressed where it's like, oh, you see, they may have a point, but the important thing here is it's someone we don't like that brought the point up, so we're not going to change anything. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, let's see, Bors Failure made the point, Dalla made the point, and it's like, you're making the worst people, the worst person you know just said a great point. Yeah. But that, yeah. the main thing that kind of it gets expressed through in NJO and beyond is kind of Jason now. Mm-hmm. As this kind of turns into the Jason and Jaina story uh, for the rest of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I'm kind of interested in with that is kind of tracking how much of what Jason does later gets foreshadowed unintentionally before they knew they wanted him to be uh, mm-hmm. Darth Kytus. And there's, there's a lot here in how Jason kind of sees their position, even if he doesn't like what Worth Skitter and Ganner Isode and Kip Durner are doing, going out and like posing themselves in the galaxy, it's because he feels like he shouldn't be beholden to other people rather than because yeah. he thinks they're taking too much initiative. Like yeah. his opposition to uh the Borsk in the advisory council is that he feels like no one has a right to judge the Jedi because they don't mm-hmm. have access to the force. And he basically keeps going down that path. He goes back a little bit on it, but that's mm-hmm. kind of, it tracks very well with what he ends up doing later. Where the problem is like, he should be in charge. The Jedi should be in charge. And yeah. later on, when he sees what him, Jaina, and Anakin do with the mind meld, his immediate thought with that is, how can I use that to pacify the galaxy? As in like, he wants to impose himself on these people already. Right. And... It's kind of funny because we get a Kip Durin scene to show kind of how fucked up Kip's thinking is. Um, right after Kip leaves, uh, so Lando's got this this setup, and one thing he does at, at this mining station is he set up kind of an obstacle course in an asteroid field, which one that sounds not unlike the Hoth asteroid field, and um, of course, Jaina is amazing at it. She gets a time of... It's basically, how long can you survive before being hit by an asteroid? And they've got this repulsor set up. Um, Jaina gets... She beats the time by, like, two and a half times. Although, I think there's the implication that Luke could have beat her. But, um... Uh, 
so Kip Kip, gets, Kip was formerly the, the the highest on the scoreboard, and when he leaves, his basic and basically his entire thought is, I've got to get Jaina into my squadron that he's created called Kip's uh, dozen and is dozen and two, right? Yeah, dozen and two Avengers because Such Will looks so sick. Yeah, like he's basically just saying we we should we should get into this like i we got to get them the solo kids into this the dozen and five avengers because will look so amazing like all he's thinking about and like he's not a bad guy at like at this point cuz we see he immediately rushes off to uh to Helska to try to save he doesn't know what's going on but try to try to help somebody uh and his squad gets slaughtered but he's completely vain at this point um and he's not doing things as they would say on the bachelor for the right reasons well, speaking and of the bachelor, favorite Star Wars uh, discussion. Uh, what is the forgiveness, and should someone like keep uh, be forgiven? Because at the start of this book, it's like everything that he did uh, in the previous books is forgotten by most people. The Jedi don't think about it. He kind of does his own thing. He's a Jedi master, etc., etc., etc. Basically, is uh, in a position to look. Which means that he uh, more or less has the support of half of the uh, order. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, uh, I feel like this uh, keep doing this forgiven thing is not uh, well thought out. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, it, like, like happens off screen basically. Yeah, because like the way the authors approach it is either Kip was responsible for his actions and we're going to ignore them. Or mm. Kip wasn't responsible for exact his actions, and we're gonna ignore them. But like it does yeah. get mentioned later on. But it it's something that Star Wars is just so bad at overall the whole redemption thing, and it's only really Alphabet Squadron where they tried to focus a story on it and actually did it justice in some way. Address some of those questions of like people won't forgive you, but that's kind of on you. Yeah, and I think the original point of Kip's story was not that he's being fully controlled by Exarkun, but rather that Exarkun was basically exa- like exaggerating Kip's worst aspects. Like, Exarkun isn't brainwashing Kip and puppeting Kip. He's making Kip's full dark side come out. And he doesn't really get the full reckoning he deserves for he kills billions of people. Yeah. He destroys an entire star system. He does end up becoming... There is a bit in NJO where it's handled a bit better, where mm-hmm. when he's doing, uh, when Luke is reforming the Jedi Council, Kip ends up being one of his better supporters because by then he's mm-hmm. kind of won over to what Luke's point of view was and that yeah. he caused enough problems for Luke. If they had had him take that position earlier on in the series and be one of the voices against the kind of rogue Jedi under someone mm-hmm. else instead of being the like leading force for a bunch of dicks going around the galaxy ruining things for Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Like that's his role and it, it's just so weird that he'd be the one to do that at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cuz like if anyone would know, you'd think it'd be him. The fact that he has to Corrin fuck up Corrin ends up kind of again. taking the other side, right? Yeah, it's basically Corrin on one side, Kip Durin on the other and a bunch of like newly named characters supporting each of them. Alcatan who goes full cop. Well, that's like Kyle's just AFK for the whole use on Vong War. Yeah, it's Legacy of the Force where he and yeah, uh, yeah, it's Worm yeah. War where he in shows back. War, up. It's uh, what's his face, Kent Hamner, right? Yeah, uh, uh, completely yeah. new character. Mm, I don't know, is Kent in NJO? I don't remember. I think he is. He's on 
I think he's brought up in the original Jedi Council stuff as being kind of like military and Jedi liaison, and then he sticks around from that until Savage drops on him. Mm-hmm. Rip. Yeah. Good for us. <laughs> it's the best response that we've gotten so far um okay here's the burning question that the internet was talking about non-stop in 1999 and one that i asked too when the first time i read this book and every time i've read it since what's the deal with sir padal's mayor he's clearly meant to be somebody he's tommy wiseau he's a bit weird but he's yeah, maybe he's Tommy Wiseau. The, the, I was reading some of the old, um, some of the old like Jedi Council forum stuff back in the day. The theory, for some reason, was that it was Boba Fett, which obviously I, I don't see where that came from ever. Um, to me, the hint is that he's some sort of ex-imperial. Um, but yeah, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Do you guys find his because like the the book is kind of hinting that that he's someone the whole time. Uh, like he's got some strange like foresight. He's very calm. He alludes to knowing kind of the what an advanced battle cruiser is like, and then he sacrifices himself basically at the end with no kind of conniptions about it whatsoever. So, do you guys have any thought about who? What do you think he was supposed to be? Some of the buddy, or am I and you know the other nerds reading too much into him? Uh, what do you guys think? I actually don't remember that discussion at all. No, okay, can't imagine. I wasn't that much on the uh, North American internet in 1990, mm-hmm. so maybe because of that. Mm-hmm. I remember the character and remember that uh, basically, I think Hans then said that what he did was a sacrifice, blah, 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 something like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember why would you think that he was an Imperial or... A... I just, I, I, I think he makes some reference to having lived, like spent a lot of time on on an advanced, on a capital ship bridge. Uh, do you have any thoughts, Corey? I I think it might have been the kind of character that was set up for, like, oh, maybe a future author wants to do something with this. Mm-hmm. I don't know that... Uh, if it had been something that was, like, a, a general ex-imperial, like, a non-specific identity, I feel like that mm-hmm. probably would have come up in the text. But... I don't think yeah, that... like they purposefully don't name him. He's just Sir Padal's like yeah. at first he's a mechanic or whatever, then a mayor. Yeah, and I, I don't think that Salvatore had enough uh enough of an expanded universe pedigree to make any other kind of like goals. So I feel it it was a thing he actually talked about a lot of his interviews was making sure he left enough story hooks for someone to deal mm-hmm. with later, which is why he doesn't say anything about like Silgal looking at Mara with the mm-hmm. Coom spores. But yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's probably just that simple. Uh, I'll set up this weird guy, and maybe someone wants to reference him later. Yeah, yeah. If you look up like Sir Padal Mayor, the first thing that pops up is a uh, is like a, a twenty page long Force dot net uh, <laughs> forum from nineteen ninety nine. So that's if you ever want something uh, something to have fun with, go through that. I was also reading it, and do you guys know? Club Jade, the website, um, they posted. They posted about how uh, I was just reading the site the other day for something, and she posted about how uh, what was his name again? What's the guy that played the original um, Boba Fett? What was his name again? Um, why am I drawing a blank? Jeremy, uh, no. Jeremy Bullock, right? Yeah. 
about how he was this was like from back in the early 2000s there was like a news article about how he, how he had been casted for something and she was like presumably for the for the role of Sir Padal's mayor in the live action version of Vector Prime which <laughs> I thought was funny but I, I find these kind of early internet discussions of of EU stuff very interesting I just don't like Star Wars that much so I can't I can't get myself <laughs> invested enough to care about it Mm-hmm. Listen, sorry like- how long have you been working on the same empire war mod <laughs> shut up <laughs> so the, there's something it's that i really wanted remake right now. i'm very excited actually you are not obviously because then you have to learn new game and how to mod it but uh, i'm very excited <laughs> i am eventually i'm retiring from <laughs> <laughs> so but back and Serpidal, uh, can we talk about the uh, death of certain uh, hairy person, animal? Sure, yeah. Do we want to get to Chewy first, or do we want to make a quick diversion to Lando? Because everyone hates Lando in this book. Yeah. Then like, we'll go the like fuck? half an hour Leia? on Chewy. Leia's like... Leia's like... Um, Lando's always getting haunted in trouble, like... Have you read it the last 15 years of books in universe, Leia? It's like been Han pretty much every time causing trouble. Yeah. Lando basically uses Leia's kids uh, as yeah. guinea pigs. Yeah, that's true. Lando fucking uh, sucks in this book and everyone acts like they hate him, which based on his actions in this book, they should. But it, like mm-hmm. Lando's done a lot of cool shit with them. He's one of their friends. Mm-hmm. Why are you pretending he's not? <laughs> um... Yeah, that was that was a bit odd. Like user data from the flights. Yeah, Lando's <laughs> yeah. okay. Well, he's training the next generation of smugglers. The best part of that whole thing with Lando's folly to me was like tie advanced, very rare. You'd think probably one of the rarest and most expensive fighters to get mm-hmm. your hands on. And the reason he has them is because he wants the fucking chair. Like mm-hmm. no other fighter could have this chair. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the adjustable shock couch. I, I thought the whole uh, Han shields, Han and, so everyone kind of does the smuggling run. There's You can do a single fighter or you can go for the co-op leaderboard. And I think in hindsight, knowing that Chewie dies, simply having them do one last run together would be enough. Um, I find the whole kind of, oh, their shields are failing, we're going to go and save them thing to be kind of unnecessary. And the book really rushes to an end and i just think kind of they really could have shaved some time off that and put it towards making the book end in kind of a less bullshitty way does it end in a they, bullshitty way it kind of to... yeah it totally does i was at page 377 and they have one failed attack I'm like they got to wrap this shit up in 25 20 pages like i how think the even... entire second attack on helska was unnecessary other than like now, just let the Praetorate Vong stay intact, because you don't need to kill them. They're invading the galaxy anyways. Or have like, the Star Destroyer take out the world ship as it's crashing. I think I think you do need to destroy the Praetorate or because they don't know whether there's more coming, and I do think that that kind of is important yeah. for the next, the early part of the next book, at least, from what I remember. Um, although, to be fair, I guess Borsk wouldn't have done shit either way. <laughs> Yes, but uh, Bosk has this point that, uh, okay, they were invaders and you defeated them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Should just have him die the first. The second battle was entirely. I I'd forgotten it happened between finishing the book and this conversation, which is why I was pushing you on that. But you're absolutely. I feel like there's absolutely no scientific basis for what happens. That's actually covered in the interviews as well. And he's very insistent that it is and says a Wikipedia article to read. I didn't read the article, but if you want to go read it. The fact that he invented some scientific term that doesn't exist. What is it? He's like mesizatic wave. Well, the, the idea that that's the fourth phase of matter is, I think that's questionable. But we can have Bob back on to talk about. I read a lot of people on the internet smarter than me trying to figure this out, and I can't find anyone who who could explain how adding energy to a, a system. Well, like Kip goes through hyperspace fighting a grasshopper with his bare hand. Like, what do you want? What do you want for Star? Fair enough. Let's talk well, about like, Harry Chewies. Why not? Like, okay, we we set the energy back, and it caused the planet to explode. Just leave it at that. Like. Also, the yeah. planet uh, covered with ice. Yeah. Yes. So they could have done it with like uh, not by destroying it by like uh, evaporating all the water, something like that. Well, that's kind of what they did do in a way, isn't it? Like they caused the water, or they they caused the water to heat up and evaporate, and then it's cold. Like it 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 doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> So Chu and his death. Yeah, let's talk about Chewie. That's the the, the the thing that people are still talking about 20, 20 years later. Twenty three years will, later. I'll say something that will get me killed, so I will go into witness protection immediately. Okay. Uh, for the entire I don't know, before this one there's like fifty books, maybe like hundred books, I I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Chu does nothing. You know right. you're you are right. Like there's one book where he trains his son in the forest, something like that. And then his son is not even in the books that much. Mm-hmm. Basically takes the place of our token uh, bookhead. Mm-hmm. For, for the entire series, he does nothing. I, I love the character, like in the, in the movies, obviously. I, I hope they do some more stuff with him in uh, this sequel era yes mm-hmm. but uh in the uh legends his entire arc is nothing he's a babysitter he's not even a babysitter it's not like he's defending Khan actively it's like nothing and then uh his death basically is the first thing that happens to Han in decades yeah i understand that uh for people who grew up, grew up with star wars it it's a trauma of a of a sort you lose your favorite uncle. Uh, mm-hmm. I kind of can't see a better way to shake things up. Yeah. Like, no other death. Obviously, they killed Anakin then, but at that point in time, no other death makes sense. And again, this might be... Uh, wow, Gariel Kaplison's death didn't affect you. Can we get this guy off the podcast, please? Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi? <laughs> Darth Vader? Well, okay, Palpatine, the first no, the fact that you got to mention Palpatine. people from 20 years ago, I was yeah. thinking that exact same thing. He's t- Luke is thinking about the people that he's lost. He's been fighting basically perpetual war for 20 years, and the, the people he can think about are old men who died, like in the movies. So it's like yeah. I, 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 you've got a, you've got a good point. At Logan. a certain point, like they all have to retire, 
or we're dealing with stories where they're all Pelion's age, fifty years later, where nothing bad has happened to or Star Wars. Their role don't don't change. Like Pelion's role, it kind of changed from being uh, Thrones like second in command to being like a politician, basically not even a commander, a politician. So mm-hmm. we don't we don't see that with let's say Han, right? Yeah, he's a smuggler turned uh, hot shot fighter and mm-hmm. he stays that for 40 years for 50 yeah. years he's not like in a uh, command position he's not like a politician he's not he's not doing like like take a biography of any uh famous politician like off the top of my head like churchill right mm-hmm. in 20s he's a journalist he's a reporter he's a soldier then he's in the navy then mm-hmm. he's a politician 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 so as you grow you have to like change your uh Skill set, I guess, is the word, mm-hmm. and nothing like that happens. So that's why, for me, uh, Enjo Han is the best Han that we ever get, mm-hmm. because he is broken, he's uh, in conflict with himself. He's for the first time he's in conflict with Leia. Uh, for the first time he's in conflict with his own children. He, at least there's some attempt to uh, change the status quo for him. He uh, starts making new friends for the first time in forever. I don't know. He goes over the 4chan for the first time in forever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some movement, you know. It's, it's really in the memes. Yeah, there's some movement. And eventually, obviously, he gets back to the same position because we can't have anything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least for the duration of Enjoy, there's for me it's really a satisfactory arc of his fall and rise again. He becomes a better man in my opinion by the end of it. Yeah. I yeah, I I agree with that. I personally for Star Wars don't like the whole alcoholism thing and like I I just don't know if I don't like that subject matter for Star Wars, like him having PTSD and taking it out on his kid who like dies soon afterwards for me that's a little too dark and like for some people that's not a dark at all um but i i agree i agree with what you're saying though um yeah i i would have liked han and leia to get retired like not killed retired somewhere because they do get too old at some point and then if you really want to bring them back for you know big battle against big bad guy then you have the millennium falcon swoop in it's exciting you know um but uh, on that note, I was happy about a couple things in this book, kind of adjacent to that. Um, what about Jason? Well, uh, this is about Jason. I was going to make that joke myself. I like that Jason is the one who goes in to um, he goes into Helska to save Danny Quee, who he immediately tries to kiss. Basically, um, not really, but I like. Yes. I like that that the mantle is kind of being passed here. Um, is that the mantle pad? I don't know, but I, I I like that it's Jason, not Luke. And Luke yeah. Luke is still important, but you know you even get Luke POVs during this book, but you get a lot more of Anakin and Jason to a lesser degree, not so much Jaina, but Anakin and Jason. Like like this is really setting them up as the heroes, and the kind of is the case for most of the series, really. Yeah, that's a good point. Jaina gets a little bit more as it goes on later, especially after Anakin's dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the only the only kind of subject matter that I don't like it when Star Wars does is uh, 
kind of the the sexual stuff that comes with Legacy of the Force because just Star Wars never could touch that because they just can't handle it well. And I think with mm-hmm. the with Han's arc here, well, it is definitely much darker than anything we've had. I think they they do handle it pretty well, and mm-hmm. it's something that really Star Wars has had a problem with for a long time that they never really addressed directly was that Han and Leia were shitty parents. Mm-hmm. Like they were always gone getting their kids kidnapped and Han had nothing nice to say about any of his kids. Like the Corellian trilogy, it's just maybe Jaina, mm-hmm. but he, he kind of hated Jason for a long time. He had no, I don't think he's on the same in the same room as Anakin in most of the books we've read before. Anakin's never in the same room as anyone though. He's not mm-hmm. allowed in any of the books, mm-hmm. but it, it's a thing that probably had to be addressed in some case, whether Han had to go as far as he did. It's kind of I'll go to it with an open mind, I'll say that. But they, so this was actually something else that Stackpole talked about in one of his interviews, telling people to not send emails threatening to kill uh, Salvatore. But uh, Free speech, man. Yeah. But it, he actually said if people... They, they might have overestimated the sophistication of their audience by doing this. Uh, and it, he said if people wanted that kind of like safe everything, they should just go read Star Trek instead. Uh, the same mm-hmm. pablum pumped out. But mm-hmm. uh, he also says, which to stop me if this sounds familiar to anyone, uh, him and Salvatore actually, because I think it was Salvatore in particular that said this. He hopes they commit to what they did with killing Chewbacca and keep going in the direction that was set out at the start of NJO. And if they want to be cheaper, they can bring Chewie back in a clone of the Emperor by the end of it. Which I I'm not saying that what that's happening like. in episode nine, both those things. And it's not only Han for me. Like uh Leia's arc after this book in particular, for me is really interesting. She more or less becomes like a administrator of the refugees which is mm-hmm. like a central point of the whole yeah. series and she's I, in my opinion she's super interesting in that role uh, mm-hmm. like she's still a politician yes but she's trying to create a good uh, shelter she's trying to coordinate the logistics etc etc in my opinion it works really well for her but if there's one character who's deaf I'm not sad at all. It's full of Anakin for me. Obviously, by this book, we, we don't get too much on him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a few uh, young, like, school age novels. Junior Jedi Knights, yeah. 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 Yes, so I don't remember even reading them, to be honest, but overall, his creation uh, seems to be part of the attempt to address every age, if that makes sense. Like, we have young adult novels for uh, Jaina and Jason, and then we have mm-hmm. him as a uh, young reader novel character, you know? Obviously, now they're all uh, in the adult books, but uh, among all the main characters, he's probably the most, most expendable. Mm-hmm. So his killing now, I think when I think about it, his killing makes the most sense in terms of uh, who they could have killed off without uh, without killing off like Luke or Mara, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that in 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 one sense, but in another, in another, they give him such a shitty last year or so of life, where like he's gonna be dealing with the fallout of Chewie's death until he dies. I remember, you know, he he dies kind of after he reconnects with Tahiri, and it's kind of like a young love type of thing. Yeah, and and then his body's like mutilated by the Vong. Like it's it's pretty awful, kind of what happens to him. Um, but you are right in that he, sorry. Then his death breaks China. It breaks. Yeah, exactly. It breaks Han again, but it's it's very tragic. Again, well written. I don't, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. regard that. No, I I know what you mean. And you're right. Cause he is the, you know, he's the dark empire baby where Jane and Jason are the Thrawn trilogy babies. And like, you know, like. That's a joke, but it it they there is also that separation where like Jane and Jason we've seen throughout, you know, just a little bit, you know, they're doing things by Jedi Academy trilogy. Corellian trilogy is really the only time Anakin does stuff. I'd say the Young Jedi Knights books were definitely more popular than the Junior Jedi Knight books. Um I think that whole twin factor kind of lends a lot of people like makes Jane and Jason interesting. Anakin's kind of the weird one out, and he definitely is the more killable of the of the kind of main characters. I agree. Well, they actually intentionally, or they were originally intended to do it the other way around, where this was supposed mm-hmm. to be the initial trials leading up to Anakin being the the next Luke, where he was going to be. He he kind of gets set up as this in a lot of places, like the yeah. super powerful one. He's the one who's really yeah. the moral core of everyone, and when he tries to do something, it just go like. Uh, he has his issues getting there, but he's set up as like the next, the next most powerful character. Ben. We Ben's see that in this book, yeah. even. Ben starts to play the same role as yeah. Anakin, basically. Right? He's the one who will succeed Luke at yeah. some point. He does so, kind of end up taking a lot of Jason or Anakin's traits in some ways, mm-hmm. but the the original plan was to kill Jason. Uh, and I think it might even have been George Lucas who prompted the switch because he didn't want Anakin. The name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, that the stuff that happens to all of their kids ends up being really sad. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a a scene I made a note of it here where like Leia is, uh, yeah, Leia is thinking about. Her and Jaina, Jaina has kids later because she's thinking of Mara's disease. And Leia has mm-hmm. an image of herself and Jaina sitting and talking to Jaina's babies about their brave deceased great aunt Mara and nearly broke her down at that moment. Got some bad news for you, Leia. Yeah. Yeah. Just add her their two uncles to that list too. Yeah. Yeah, things don't turn out happy. Um but I mean, I guess considering the amount of war they've been in, maybe that's appropriate. <laughs> Like I, I've never had a problem with uh, Chewie or Anakin's death. I think they do make sense. I, I ended up liking Anakin more my last read through of NJO because I hadn't really had been exposed to him. My first exposure to him, I think, was reading Star by Star, so uh, there was no real chance to get attached to him in any way there. But mm-hmm. it, it does kind of change by uh, Darkness and Legacy of the Force and Fate of the Jedi, where they're just gotten so comfortable killing off certain characters that uh, I don't know, it just ends up feeling a little bit over the top. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I feel like 
I agree with the point that Eric made at the beginning that uh, they kind of uh, went with a darker tone in the last few series. Like, for instance, Dark Nest is extremely dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's in the name? Well, yes, but uh, beyond that, it's uh, extremely gruesome and it's extremely uh, sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Legacy Era, etc. So uh, this book kind of sets up the tone for the next, I don't know, 40 books that we see. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe uh, Salvatore kind of uh, locked them in that, or maybe that was a decision that was, was made by the collective. It's still difficult to say. Yeah, I still feel like the other books manage a bit more levity than this one does, where like... Well, the other books you know, don't have to kill off Chewy. Like Star by Star ends up being really dark too. It's the two mm-hmm. that have to kill people off, and that was something that was in the contract when Salvatore signed it that he was writing a story about killing off Chewy, basically. So I, I think the weird thing is that like usually Star Wars stories start, especially with that levity. Like usually there's like you know they start off going to do something kind of you know fairly innocent. Like, you know, Legacy of the Force starts off with that dinner scene, for example. Um, or That's one of the a... most horrific things in Star Wars, if you add the picture from the Reader's Companion to it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that picture's not great. Um, Here's that one. Do you have it on hand? Uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go find it. It's, it's rough. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that there definitely is a tone that's set from this point on. Um, Fate of the Jedi, for me, is kind of the one that stands out as being a little strangely a little less dark um even though like you know you're dealing with abeloth and stuff um she's almost like a comically evil villain uh, and there's like a lot of luke and ben stuff that's you know pretty it's not light-hearted but you know there's it's you know kind of got the father-son thing going on which is is fun to read yeah but Um, by that point ben and luke are kind of uh they have better relationship i guess is the way to put it so their playing off each other is kind of uh, less tragic, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Is the yeah. yeah that's, uh, Doring reminds me about the Nogri and the fact that they're completely, I wouldn't say underused, but uh, I'm not sure what uh, the authors are trying to do with the Nogri in this series. Show that the Varmen are off. better than they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Otherwise, they are like uh, cannon uh, fodder, right? Yeah. Uh, which is, I don't know. The entire history of that race is extremely sad to me. Mm-hmm. And the moment they uh, started, uh, well, the moment they met that family, they probably should have just let the, left the galaxy because meeting <laughs> that family, things that happened to them. Yeah. Entire species. Yeah. Did they get told not to go on the trip with them? I think I missed something no, there. No, she sneaks away. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, like, Bulper is not one of the ones from prior books. He's a new Nogri, which means the prior mm-hmm. ones either uh, died or retired. And not only does Bulper, spoiler alert, die in the next book, he gets mentioned, I think, once in the following book, and they spell his name wrong. So that was probably an editing mistake, but it really just shows the solo's attitude to 
racist. Yeah. Not great. Not great at all. Um, Something wrong with making the this is the slave warrior species. They're working mm -hmm. for us now because we're the good guys. Yeah. Chewbacca was that, right? To some extent. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, he gets uh, more uh, agency, but. uh, Not that much more. (laughs) Yeah, but he's basically that, right? Yeah. And maybe he dies later, but he dies. Uh, for the same reason, he tries to save one of the family. Yeah. The most agency that Chewbacca gets is basically when he does something to protect Han that Han doesn't want him to do. Yeah. Like when Han's like, no, I gotta do this mission alone, and Chewie's like, and grabs Han and moves him out of the way. And that's Chewie being like his own man, his own Wookiee. So there is some pushback in the comments about the quality of the picture. If you go and look at it, it's more the faces look at the you arms, want to look at. Look at the faces. Yeah. Look at how they're sitting. Some of them seem like they're on the floor. It's just the longer you look, the weirder and stranger it'll get. Yes. Once you realize which characters are supposed to be which, rather than just being a collection of people around a table, that's when you really mm. get the maximal. Find Zek. Try it. Find yeah. him. Find Zek. Find Zek. Which one's Mara? Good luck. The one who looks like Haley Williams from circa 2000's Paramore. Look how long Mara's arms are. They're not long enough. <laughs> what I like about the later depictions of the characters is how Jaina looks like a young Leia. Yeah. I feel like they kind of nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you put that on screen again, by the way, Corey? Uh, yeah. Up. Yeah. It's good stuff. If you're listening to the audio podcast, look up uh, Essential Reader's Guide. Uh... Legacy That's of the Force dinner. Legacy of the Force dinner picks it up. Han and Luke are doing the the cat meme with the angry people. Yeah, yeah, they are. That's true. Who's... And then that's Ben. Lanky is absolute fuck right next to him. I think that's Ben, right? Uh, I think that's Ben. Yeah, that's and then it's Ben is sitting with uh, Mara. No, no, that's Jason there, I believe. Jason is yeah. Jason is between Zek and Jaina. Yeah, yeah. I think that's Jaina. No, and... that's. Oh yeah, I thought that was Mara. Okay, so it's Jaina who's got the short arms. So we yeah. don't have Zek. Yeah, no, Zek's the one at the very end there because he's got there the little... for some reason. Yeah, but I think I'm... he's still like bug dating Jaina a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that. And happens. like, look how the floor is. Like, how is Mara on the floor? Like, look how. Look how far 3PO's off the floor, and then Mara, like, it's... Look at the face of the thing they're eating, though, dude. <laughs> it, it, I, I know the exact sound from that picture the, of that creature made while it was alive. It's cry. It was, meh! I thought to me that fascist, so we don't care about her anymore. Yeah. 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 Well, she doesn't marry the fascist till later. Yeah, she goes dark side first and then marries the fascist. She already has uh, tendencies, let's say. <laughs> but but don't worry, the oligarchy family <laughs> redeems the fascists first before they all give love, power back to them. I love how they're eating a cat and some olives. What do you want, the cat or the olives? Uh, <laughs> give me the olives. That's actually Alana's Nexu that they're eating. <laughs> oh, no. No, she doesn't get that. Alana's not even existing yet, dude. No, she does. Not if this yet. This is Legacy of the Force. She does exist. 
No. She's conceived in darkness. Is she born yet? She's oh, like, yeah, okay, you're right. She doesn't have her next to yet, though, because she gets that no. in Fate of the Jedi. Well, none of them know that they're related to her yet, because Jason and Kennel Ka's relationship is entirely secret and gets superseded by Danny Kui for the first half of J.O., which the age gap there Plus isn't the creepiest. Right. So Danny Kui, who, like, the first perspective we get of the Yuzhan Vong in this is that um, they think Danny Kui's hot. That's the first thing we hear from the Yuzhan Vong. That's any That's new f- female character in this book is all we hear is how hot she is. Danny Kui, Tubo, Duel. Uh, I think Danny Kui gets it more than anyone else because Danny Kui not only gets it the first time she's introduced, she gets it the first time any new man sees her. Yeah. And then she's kind of underused, I guess. They try to make her a Jedi. Mm-hmm. They try to make her like a central scientist, etc. And then she just uh, vanishes by the legacy. Not not by the legacy, by the Doesn't fake. Doesn't she go with the Cop, maybe? Yeah, I think she does. Her and Tahiri just end up kind of blending together for me because it yeah, scientist blonde, lady, blonde, scientist, yeah. going into Yuzhan Vong source of information. She just gets kind of replaced by her. Yeah. Ten-year-old me was bricked up reading those chapters, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say earlier that uh, the dozen and two Avengers aren't the creepiest thing that Kip tries to get Jaina into in this series. Uh, Because he has a fucking hot tub scene with her later on. And he's, like, pushing 30. She's maybe 17 at that point. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, and like Danny Kui must be like in her twenties or thirties because she's a scientist. She's I think early twenties. I don't think she oh, too old to be too yes. old for their, them to be setting a relationship with yes. a sixteen year old. I don't blame her. She doesn't do anything wrong. Crying in Jason's arms that's okay, but the fact that the book is presenting it as like Jason's, you know, yeah. Well, I guess to be fair, like. And uh, Padme, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's not good either. Well, this is Nor what I was talking is, uh, about earlier. With like Star Wars, should stay away from it. And repeat a few of arcs between like Anakin and Jason. Sorry, is it what? Uh, the arcs that happened with uh, Anakin, oh, yeah. and Jason, they kind of repeated both here and then in uh, the uh, Fate of the Jedi. Not in the fate. I mean, um, legacy. Legacy, yeah, legacy of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think generally, like George Lucas, because like George Lucas's original, and so Indiana Jones, one of Indy's woman's name is one of his uh, his gals is named Marion, and um, India or George Lucas intended her to be fifteen when they had their because they have like an initial love connection, then they come back much later. Um, and that's why she's all mad at him when they meet again. And uh, he was supposed to be in his late twenties, and she's supposed to be fifteen. So, yeah. And then there's all this stuff in uh, Legacy of the Force is just even worse. I just ruined Indiana Jones for Elk, and I could tell based on his face. I, I haven't read like the books. I obviously watched the movies. This isn't book stuff. This is George Lucas's like his intention. She even says in the movie, like, "I was so young. Why did you like?" She basically says, why did you take advantage of me? Like, you know what you were doing, basically. So it's like... I love Lucas, but he's he's weird. It recontextualizes <laughs> the relationship. That's what I'll say. He's just weird. 
Yeah. <laughs> Good dude. Love it. Steven Spielberg was like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't put the don't put the explicit age in George. Please keep it to head cannon. <laughs> I feel like there was one more weird thing that I have read recently about Lucas. But in Star Wars context, I can't remember right now. Did it have to do with Darth Talon? Because that one's been going around a lot. Oh, yeah, but that, that's kind of like a waifu thing. I, everyone has one, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. Exist. Darth Talon's of age. She's a mature Twilight woman. Danny is his waifu, so we know that. Cory probably likes Dala. Who does? Oh, Cory. No. Why Corey's am I getting one... lumped in with the fascist rehabilitation of Star Wars later on? With should have been barred from ever being chief of state Dalla. Should have been shot in the back alley. Did, like, did, was there no when they were trying to do the whole like post-war reconstruction of the galaxy? Did they have like no high-ranking Imperials reforming elected office? Like, is this not something that there was some kind of provision against? Like. A lot of a lot of places do that of like, hey, maybe if Hitler ran for office again and he hadn't killed himself in a bunker, top ten things to happen in history. But if would he have just would people have just said, No, it's the democratic process, he's allowed to run for office. I feel like that's a, a rule against running that people are generally okay with. Well, a bunch of Nazi office, officials became like uh big uh people in like NATO, right? So uh Usually in like have... bureaucratic positions rather than elected officials. Okay. Like okay. You'd, you'd expect this fascist coup to come from, uh, or at least some it's someone saying state. like, "Hey, this is wow, weird." Suddenly, we can't freely elect Hitler anymore, and you sound like the fascist now, Corey. Yeah. Is the chief of state mm-hmm. an elected position? To think about the election there. I don't uh, think so. It's elected by the elect. It's so it's people elect their senators, presumably. Although some of them seem to be not elected in any way, and then the senators elect the chief of state. So it is a indirectly elected position. Except sometimes when the chief of state is chosen by the uh, the council. Well, or by the prior chief of state, but that's just executive yeah. privilege. That's okay. Yeah, there was that one time where um, where Mon Mothma said, handsy offsies, and she gave Leia the chief of state thing. And, and they, then Leia they gave went it to, to Garrison. They went to the Supreme Court, and they said she said handsy offies, so it's... It's illegal. Leia appointed Gaverson. So, yeah, yeah. That was politics not good. So <laughs> that's that's the entire point of this conversation. Dropping Moon, good politics. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's some horseshoe theory thing going on here. I'm not sure. Wait, which side is the moon dropping on again? It's, uh, is that what, do the leftists do that? or <laughs> That's being well, cancelled on if Twitter. If you think about it, uh, Yuzhan Vong are, uh, are basically like primitivists, right? So it depends on what you feel about them, but they can be like anarcho-primitivists. So, mm-hmm. Which means that the left wing dropped the moon on Chibata. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure what like I was like reading the Vong. I was like, who like who are these supposed to be? Chewbacca like, actually followed Pelion on while we had to drop them. Well, they're they're fascists. Jokes aside, if you look at the Umberto Eco's fourteen tenets of fascism, uh, mm-hmm. Yuzhan Vong hit like ten of them, something like That's that. That's pretty good. 
Corey only hits yeah. nine, so yeah. That's we Corey. not have this joke again. Cheat code, Corey. Nine, those are rookie numbers. <laughs> I can find someone on Twitter every day who hits at least thirteen. So question for you guys. Uh, I've we talked that about the death of Chewbacca, but uh, I remember distinctly that the method of death was a really hotly debated topic back in mm-hmm. the day. Is it does it make a difference if he was killed by a moon dropped on him or like in a duel with a Yuzhan Vong? Does that matter to you? For me, no. The the thing about the moon is it just sounds so funny <laughs> to, to say he they dropped a moon on him when like did they drop a moon? No, you can't drop a moon. They used it they they like what actually happened, I think is kind of badass and like makes sense with how the Yuzhan Vong you know how their technology works, but just if 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 you have never read a Star Wars book and someone said they dropped a moon on Chewbacca in the Star Wars books and he's dead now, like it's it's kind of funny and it sounds like the worst shit ever. But in the books, it's it's really written in a badass way. He stands up, he's yeah. defined. He's, he's There's like a picture too. Yeah, I forget what it's from, thumbnail. where he's like, <laughs> "Come at me, bro." <laughs> The moon did, in fact, come at him. There and... was an earlier draft of the book where he died a different way. Uh, he actually slipped in the bathtub on Destrillion, but they decided that that wasn't quite enough. Well, that implies that he had showers, and I don't believe that. <laughs> How bad would he smell? <laughs> well, can you imagine? Are you going to tell him? him? No. Like, you need to very gently tell Wookiee that he smells, because they're used to living in trees... What do you just say, like, thank you, though? Like, would that be considered an insult to him? Yeah, true. Although, if they're hunters, you can't be too stinky if you're hunting animals, right? No, you have to be stinky to blend in, actually. Mm -hmm. Okay, fuck. Famously, hunter-gatherer societies was when humans smelled the best. Okay, but let's be honest. Hunter-gatherers were doing a lot of gathering and not a lot of hunting. It's like they spent 30 days of a month eating nuts and berries and then one time they killed like an epileptic like cougar <laughs> who broke his leg and like we're hunter gatherers now i i think you're just underestimating how much time they're putting into one kill like it's not easy when you've got a twig a pebble to hunt with but you know how you know how humans killed animals though they ran them down because we've got two legs kill, if you need to kill a cougar you have to kill dala first <laughs> That's the second comment. Yeah, from like, no, I'm this is not. Track. Yeah, trying to fucking push it on me and then doesn't give me a chance to deny if the fascism of allegation. a woman with one eye like that, somebody let me know. <laughs> I, I'm trying to send a picture of Chewbacca dying. It's really badass. I, I actually can't use Discord at the moment. I bought the button to change to text. I'll just send it to Corey. That's it. Yeah. That's the easiest way to do it. Oh, play. yeah, because we're in a, we're just in a voice channel. There's no associated uh, yeah. text channel with it. Yeah. So we do know now that uh, Ilkin's waifu is Dala, even though he brought her up trying to say it's mine. Mm-hmm. So right who's now, the fascist now? Right now, to be honest, it's Ray. I, I will be honest. I know that everyone hates her because you're supposed to hate her, blah, blah, blah. But currently, it's Ray. Look, Ray's theme is the best Star Wars song. I lo- I, lo- I really like her outfit in episode eight. It was like it it was fashionable. The black one, w- big upgrade. So yeah, and Ilkin's listen. really down with the fash. So 
Uh, we're starting to run long. Should we answer some questions? Should we save them for next week so we can just chat with Ilkin a bit more, Corey? Maybe? Or do you wanna... uh, yeah, yeah. We, we, we did a the lot whole of questions. questions last time thing. So we won't maybe subject we... him to everyone's thoughts yet. Yeah, maybe we can save the qu- the. We'll, maybe we'll cover the Vector Prime questions quickly as quickly as we can if they're relevant only to Vector Prime at the beginning of next episode. And then any that are just relevant to the Yuzhan Vong as a whole, maybe we'll cover that at the end. Or maybe yeah. we'll do both at the end. We'll let you know at the beginning of next episode. Yeah, because a lot of the a lot of the Vector Prime questions here are actually still relevant to like the Vong as a whole, mm-hmm. or they're related to questions that we have or topics that mm-hmm. we've already uh, talked about either last episode or during this episode. Yeah, and I also do want to say there were a lot of very thoughtful questions, so I'm not we're, we are not going to be dismissing them because people are really getting into this, and yeah. we are doing a bit of a podcast rebrand as well, so Ilkin, thanks for joining us for that. Not a rebrand, uh, kind of a rebirth. Uh, we're being... We're being shoved out of the Yuzhan Vong fluid sack, born anew, disfiguring our own nose, cutting our ears off. It's great. Um, so, do you guys plan to cover uh, it bi-weekly? Because I'm I'm a big fan of podcasts well, and I listen every week. So, when you guys are not on, I know mm-hmm. I don't train on that week. I don't have cardio basically. So, I need so to- what we're gonna do, I think, is we're we're gonna try to do a, a book, a new Jedi Order book, every two weeks. Um, but I mean, there may be situations where it gets pushed off to three or whatever else. Um, right, Corey? Yeah. If there's like a big new book release that we want to cover, that's like particularly topical, or if Eck has food poisoning again, uh, we might end up having to there. But I generally, I, I do be shitting and puking and farting. I'm a Rangers fan, to be honest. What? <laughs> What'd you say? What? I'm sorry. What? what? <laughs> Rangers fans, not a fan of Rangers fans and Rangers in general. How long have you been a Colorado fan, Elkin? 96. Yeah. Figures. 96? When was the last time they won a Stanley Cup? Was that 95? 2001. Oh, sorry. Before that. 96. 96. Okay. Well, I'm, just, I was just checking. I'm, just, no, I'm just checking. It's so cool. Okay. But yeah, so generally like it'll they be. fought the Red Wings. Every other week. Yeah, we do was... intend to do Invasion in some of the short <laughs> stories in the, in the middle mm-hmm. weeks for some of them, but like Halo next week. I talk about yeah uh, we alluded to that at the beginning we're going to talk about the first two episodes of the halo tv show should i read hello books we are going to read one at some point i think the first three are very good um well they're very fun they're not pieces of art they're like star wars eu um i'm about to get canceled by some people on twitter but um they're they're i i think the fall of reach especially is really good what is it extensive in terms of EU, is is there like twenty five million books? There's less books than there are. Like for a while, when Halo was coming out, the releases were surprisingly more infrequent. Like when the first three books came out, or first three games, I think there were probably like maybe less than seven books, um, maybe less than six. And now we get, I think we probably get two a year, one or two a year. I don't read them anymore, so I, I get all of them. I, no, I specifically it, it, like if, if there's like Halo stuff that's like relevant, I'll be like, okay, this is what I know, and then I'll be like, the rest you can read about in Silent Storm, which I haven't read yet. <laughs> well, you're already disappointed by the game. I don't feel that you can get you can take more than that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Listen, when when they start making me want to play, I'll start reading the books again. I wasn't a fan of the game. Really? Not not at all? No. See, I'm Mom, the opposite. I liked it. I just I got no reason to play right now. Okay, but the single player was really I don't know. The guns felt like floaty, if that's a word. Mm-hmm. My problem was when you make an open world game, you lose the tight linear experiences. You don't have to because Halo almost did it right where you have like the the open world, then you have the dungeons. The problem was the dungeons in Halo Infinite weren't really very good. Um, they were like very straightforward, go A to B, kill, you know, just basically follow it. Um, where like for so, so like for really for me, I quite like the open world. So it's not my favorite, but it's not like Halo 4 or Halo 5 level for me. Um, but like if if the linear parts had been better, I would have really liked it. For others, the open world they love so much that like that kind of takes care of the rest. I'm not a fan of open world as a concept. If the game is good, it's good uh, in open world or not. I'm less of a fan the older I get because <laughs> I can't sit down and yeah, play a game. Yeah, for... yeah, like eight hours. No, I don't have time. Sorry. I, I... So you're not on Elden Ring, Ilkin? I actually played like 20 hours in total. I'm crap because uh, I have zero reaction at this point. I don't have time to get good, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> we released like six videos per week right now. Obviously, uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff is offloaded to the freelancers, but mm-hmm. still, I have to oversee everything. So I don't sleep. The only thing that I do is going to the gym, back home, work. Going to the gym, back home, work. That's it. Yeah, so, try some videos, nothing else. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm not like complaining because it's a great life, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not in the office nine to five, but still, uh, no, I I'm sure me and Corey can relate to that. I don't have time to be good in eldering. That's not yeah. what I can do. Yeah, so I'm gonna plug your channel when I do my intro. But you want to give uh, maybe a brief? Well, not not necessarily brief. You want to talk about kind of what you do, uh, the channels you run because you you're running two now, right? Three channels, actually. Three? Okay. Talk so, about your channels and, you know, where people can find you. Thank you very much for that. Uh, number one is called Kings and Generals. It's mostly on the uh, history before 1945. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sorry, Corey. It's quite big. Uh, if you guys like it, you can subscribe. But uh, the main channel tough. you want to subscribe is called Wizards and Warriors. Uh, it's basically a nerd shit. Uh, there are Star <laughs> videos, uh, Warhammer videos. Uh, it's good stuff. It's kind of like the videos I used to do, but better. Yeah, like the... yeah I, I stole the idea from you. So. Uh, oh yeah, I was the first person to do that. So if you get, if I get to itch, don't forget to sue me. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's like a battle documentaries, but uh, for fantasy and uh, and sci-fi universes. So. Uh, if you are into that, I would suggest subscribing. It's called Wizards and Warriors. Is that a year old yet? Because you started it not super long ago, right? December. December? Oh, it's okay. Um, and then you had... I didn't realize it well, It was only three months ago. I, I felt like it was longer. But uh, And then what's the third channel? And the third one is called Cold War. It's... Okay. It talks about the history of Cold War. Uh, all this. Okay. And... As usual, guys, I uh, really appreciate the invitation. Uh, I love talking Star Wars, and uh, you guys are my favorite podcast, so it's big honor. You hear that, all other podcasts? 
What other podcast? Yeah. I, I did take us the only Star Only Star Wars podcast. Mm-hmm. It's all that we have opportunity to go into other ones, right? So, I exactly. I think we're gonna drop that with the hundredth episode because I do feel like it. I feel like it's creating some bad blood Be- between with with whom between no us help. because you go on Alex's shit all the time. Oh yeah, true. Um, but yeah, Elkin. I, I mean, I'm gonna speak for Corey and say we'd love to have you back, Absolutely. even within the New Jedi Order, if you if you're interested. Um, yeah, yeah I, wanna... time, I always right. have time for you, uh, be it, uh, I don't know, podcast, gaming, talking so, in general. So Ilkin just said he's going edit, to start editing the podcast videos or episodes for us. Okay, That's okay, so okay. great of you. <laughs> but oh, th- thanks again. Uh, yeah, thank we you. really appreciate your time. This was an excellent episode. You've got a very good insight. It's nice to have another perspective besides Corey and me because we've kind of just started saying the exact same shit with like slightly different Canadian accents. So it's good to have a third Canadian accent and a third uh, a third it's Eastern European accent. I know. But you are can... yeah. because of the obvious reasons. <laughs> well, not from us. So thanks again. Uh, Corey, do you want to wanna, um take us out no i'm just gonna leave the stream on we're gonna sit here awkwardly all night okay Uh, all right thank you everybody